So we read Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 14 to the end of the chapter. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they had left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many of them who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can teach there also. This is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the preach and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you for cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the good news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Good morning. Uh, It's good to be here this morning. It's good to be here together. Uh, So let's pray and then we'll get into God's word. Um, God, we thank you so much that you haven't just saved us as individuals, but that you've saved us as a community of people. And we celebrate the fact that we can join together and encourage one another uh, this morning. We, We pray that as we open up your word that you would speak to us and that we would be transformed and changed by your word so that as we walk out today, that we would be different people to the ones we walked in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
there's always a level when asked to do something big that you need to know who is asking you, right? When you're asked to do something big, there's always uh, an element to that, whether you do it or not, uh, of who is asking. A few years ago, uh, I experienced this. I received a phone call from an unknown number, and I answered it. Now, I don't know what you do in that situation, but I picked up, and uh, on the other end of the phone was people trying to figure out who I was. So they asked, you know, is this Ben Mansfield? I said, yep, it's me. What's your middle name? I gave them that. And then they asked for my birthday. And my defenses flared up a little bit, right? I'm not going to give some random strangers my birthday. We live in the world of hackers. I'm not going to do that. So I, and on top of that, I'd had this phone call before, right? So they had rung me about three times before that, got to the same point, I'd hung up. But this time I thought, actually, you know what? Well, I won't give them my birthday straight up, but I'll say to them, I'll, I'll take the conversation a little bit further. So I said to them, I'll give you my birthday if you tell me who you are. To which they replied, well, we can't tell you who we are until you give us your birthday. And so we were stuck, right, back and forth a little bit. Uh, You know, I kept saying it, they kept saying it. And then I got to the point where I thought, you know what, their tenacity here, their uh, persuasiveness, just to stick on the end of the line, uh, I thought, what's the worst that could happen? Don't answer that, because there's probably some bad things that could happen in giving strangers your birthday. But anyway, I went through with it, I gave them my birthday, to which they responded, great, we know who you are, you owe us $400. Now, again, I'm not dumb, we live in the world of hackers and scammers, and so I'm sitting there going, all right, right, this is pretty funny, I'm all over this, right, my smug look on my face, the tone in my voice, I've got this, so I'm replying to them, yeah, sure, I'll give you $400, right, this is going to happen. And then they told me who they were. And they said they were debt collectors, working on behalf of Centrelink, who had overpaid me during my uni days. You can see the smugness wiped off my face. So all of a sudden now, I'm trying to backtrack a little bit, going, well, um, you know, I didn't mean to be smug, anything like that. I'm like, Elizabeth, Google this company's name. So she's Googling the company. Sure enough, they're debt collectors. We pay them the $400. It was all good, right? I mean, who knows what would have happened if I didn't pick the phone up that day or hung up when they asked for my birthday. That doesn't matter. We paid them. But see, when asked to do something big, who is asking you, it, it does really matter. And we know that that's true in all of life, right? If you're a teenager at home, if you do the dishes, you do them because your parent asked you to do them, right? You don't do the dishes because your brother said, mum said you need to do the dishes, Right, it was the story of my life growing up, but, but I learned from that. So you do it because the authority, who is asking you, asks you to do it. If you're at uni, you do your assignments because the degree said if you don't do them, you're going to fail. You don't just do assignments for fun. At your job, you work hard, you do the things. Your boss says you don't just do them for fun. Right? So, so when asked to do big things, who is asking us really matters. Now, now, I don't know if you caught it here this morning, but in chapter 15, and we've spoken about it a little bit, sorry, in verse 15, we've spoken a little bit about it this morning. Jesus calls us to something pretty big here. He says, repent and believe in the good news. It's a big ask. So our question is not just what does that mean, but our question is why do we have to do it? Ultimately, who is asking us to do this? Because if this is just some teacher, some guy giving us advice... Take it or leave it. But if this someone speaking, if Jesus is someone different, then, then actually it really matters. 
And so we're asking both those things, not just what is Jesus calling us to do, but why does who he is affect what we do? So if you have your Bibles there this morning, and it'll be on the screen as well, we pick it up from verse 14. This is what Mark writes. After John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee with the boat, with, uh, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. What does Jesus call us to do? Well, he says, repent and believe in the good news. But before we look at what he's calling us to do, we actually do need to recognize that this is good news. The message of Jesus is good news. This is going to be picked up all throughout the book of Mark, and it's really crucial that we see this first up before we move on. It's good news. And really, this is the difference between the message of Jesus and every other religion. Jesus, the message of Jesus is good news, whereas religion is advice, right? You want to get to God, religion says, then you need to do some stuff. You need to be praying a certain time, a certain amount of times a day. You need to be reading the Bible, going to church, going to mosque, whatever it is, religion says you want to get to God, you want to get to heaven, it's about what you do, it's advice. You want the good life? Meditate. Eat different foods, whatever it is, right? It's advice, and the problem with advice is it motivates you sometimes for a little while, but often until a point where you get sick of that advice. Whereas the message of Jesus is not advice, it's news. It's good news. It's that if we want to get to God, if we want heaven, then it's not about what we do, it's about what's been done in Jesus. And there's a big difference between those two things. Advice is the life coach saying, you want a good life, eat healthy exercise. Good news is the doctor telling you the cancer is cleared. You see the difference? One motivates you. One is burden-relieving, life-giving, purpose-driving news. And the message of Jesus is news. It's good news. It's not advice. It's, it's good news. So that's the first thing that we have to see here. But then Jesus says, repent and believe in this good news. And we need to recognize here that what Jesus is calling us to do here is a big thing. This isn't a small thing that Jesus is asking us to do. And we see this actually through these fishermen. So we see this through Simon and Andrew and James and John, who essentially give up their whole lives to follow Jesus. Now, fishing back in the day wasn't um, the weekends come, let's go to Stratty and you know, we'll throw our line in and have a good time. If we catch some fish, great. If we don't, who cares? That's not what these guys are into. This is their livelihood, right? Their jobs. If they catch lots of fish, they eat, they provide for their family. They're, you know, they're looking after themselves. If they don't, then it's going to be a hard week or a hard month. It's their jobs here that Jesus is saying, follow me out of. But we've got to see, too, that in this space, there's also family issues tied in this. Right? These guys lived in a family-orientated culture. 
Much different to our culture that we live in today. We live in this individualistic culture where we're happy to move out of home at 18 and we hope we never move back into home, right? We live generally in this individualistic culture. But there are places in the world today where this family-orientated culture still exists. If you're from Asia, you might have seen that. If you've even seen into the Asian culture, sometimes we see bits and pieces of it. Uh, I've noticed this recently as shamefully... We've been watching If You Are The One, the Chinese dating show. And uh, what we've seen, though, in that is even you can see that they have this family-orientated culture because uh, pretty much once an episode, five times a week, they get to the point where they're uh, asking, not that I watch all that, by the way, (laughs) but they get to the point where they're about to ask someone on a date, but they get to ask this question. And pretty much regularly the question is asked, would you be happy to move in with my parents? Right? You, you can see it's a family-orientated culture, to which, to my shock, every time the, the girl's like, of course I would, right? A, that's a given. Now, now, I can't imagine that happening in Australia. <laughs> if before you ask someone out, you say, hang on, before we go on this date, can, you, can I just clarify, would you be happy to move in with my parents? That just doesn't happen. Um, but, but that's because we live in a different culture. It's the the family-orientated culture, and this is where these guys are in. So not only do they have their jobs, but these jobs were tied up in their families because you would do what your dad did. It's just how it happened. If your dad was in IT, then you'd be in IT. If your dad was Jim from Jim's Mowing, you know what trailer you'd have on the back of your car. And if your dad was a fisherman, you'd be a fisherman. Right? And, and we see that, in fact, with James and John. So, so when Jesus comes to these guys and says, follow me, you see the weight of what he's asking them to do here. There's their lives on the line here, their family on the line here. What would you do in that situation? Like, like picture this, tomorrow morning as you go to work, maybe you don't have work, but whatever you're doing tomorrow morning and some random guy comes up to you, you might not have heard anything about him, and he says, uh, stop, right? forget the promotion, forget the job that you have, forget your family, come follow me. What are you doing? These guys here, when Jesus comes up to them, says, follow me, and they drop their nets, they throw their rods into the water, and they follow Jesus. It's massive. And we have to see that it's massive. We have to see that it's a big ask here. Jesus isn't saying, tag me on to your life. Right? He's not asking that. It's bigger than that. And, and, and to help us see that too, we remember the context, right? Mark is writing to Christians who lived under the, under the space where they had Nero as an emperor, who burnt Christians for fun. So when we see Jesus' words here, He can't be saying, tag me on to your life. Keep doing what you're doing and just put me in a box to the side. He can't be asking that. This is a whole life option, a whole thing. They have to follow Jesus with everything, especially because some of these people who did would die for their faith. It's big ask what Jesus is saying. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, repentance is literally this idea of a U-turn. Well, we turn from living our way and we start living for Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do. Now, he might not be saying quit your job, might not be saying leave your parents behind. He might be saying that, though. Saying, turn from what you're doing and follow me. 
it, it might look like. You know, where we've been living for our comfort and our joy and our security and we start living for Jesus. We've been working towards this end and we start working so that we can advance Jesus' kingdom. You see the difference there, right? This is a big ask that Jesus is saying. This is not a small thing. It's not a tag on our lives. So if this is such a big ask, who is Jesus to ask this of us? Who is he? Because if he's a teacher giving advice, then, then we take it or leave it. But if he's bigger than that, then I think we actually need to sit up and take notice of this. And that's actually what Mark wants to show us in the rest of this passage, who Jesus is. And he's going to show us two things. Firstly, that Jesus is the one with authority over the spiritual and the physical. And secondly, he's good. Firstly, he's the one with the authority over the spiritual and physically physical. And second, he's good. And we see that in verse 21, the authority over the spiritual. It says this, they, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The first thing we see about who Jesus is, is that he's the authority. The authority over the spiritual. And we see that in the fact that he rocks up to a synagogue, Jewish kind of church, rocks up there, teaches... And everyone's amazed because he has authority. Now, this word authority, it's, it's literally this idea of out of the original stuff. As people listen to Jesus, they can tell that there is something different about his teaching and everyone else's teaching. He's teaching like he has the original stuff. It, it would kind of be like uh, if this morning I spoke about my phone and then a guy came in who was actually put my phone together, one of the team, you know, on the team that put my phone together, right? The, the difference that you would see in that. So uh, I've got a Samsung S6, I think. Uh, I can tell you some things about my phone. The battery life's about eight hours, so you've got to charge it twice a day. Uh, the back of the screen is made of glass and can, can actually crack in your pocket which I experienced. I could tell you some other things about the phone. You know, it's um, some, oh, well, I can't tell you that much about my phone, but I could tell you some other things about how to download apps, right? Which, now, now look, I know that no, no one's sitting there going, you're a genius about your phone. But imagine at the same time, so I'm telling you, and then someone else comes in who actually was a part of the team that put that phone together. And he's actually telling you why the phone works, how it ticks, how it, you know, how come the apps act like it does, how come the keyboard is positioned, you know, all that sort of stuff. You'd be able to tell the difference, right? You'd be able to see the difference in those two people, in me and this guy. This is kind of what's happening in the synagogue. As Jesus gets up and teaches, they can tell that there's something different about him because he's teaching like he knows the original stuff. It's pretty cool. And it shouldn't surprise us either, because we've seen this in Mark chapter 1. I mean, we saw as he got baptized, God the Father declared, you are my son. 
Jesus is God among us, and the Spirit was there as well. God the Spirit was there as well. So what we see in Jesus is that he is God among us. So when he teaches about God, of course he knows what he's speaking about. right? He's speaking like he knows the original stuff. And so they're amazed at it. They're astonished at it. But we see that he has the authority over the spiritual, not just in his teaching, but in what he does. Because as he's teaching, someone from the back who has an impure spirit we won't kind of think about how it plays out today if that happened, but I don't know if you can imagine that, but someone from the back yells out, I know who you are. And remember last week we saw they were looking for the Messiah. There was prophecies and signs and declarations. Well, we've got a declaration and a sign here. Because out of the back, this impure spirit yells out, I know who you are, the authority, the author of life, but then he's freaking out. Right? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon knows who Jesus is. And he's afraid of him. All throughout Mark, what we're going to see is that the battle between God and demons isn't this dualistic battle, this arm wrestle where power swings from one way to the next. There's God and there's demons who are freaking out about God. So they say, have you come to destroy us? How does Jesus reply? Well, he says, sit down, shut up, get out, pretty much. Right? Verse 25, he casts the demon out of him. And verse 26, the impure spirit comes out. And then verse 27, that's the key one there. They were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. Jesus has the authority over the spiritual. He's God among us. So when we think about the big ask that he's giving us in verse 15, well, this is starting to form our picture of who Jesus is. He's the one with authority over the spiritual. But we see, too, he has authority over the physical as well. So we see that from verse 29 onwards. In verse 29, he goes to James and John. Uh, sorry, he goes with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law is sick. Jesus goes over, heals her. Verse 31, she, gets, she puts the kettle on, gets up. Gives them some biscuits. Verse 32. That evening at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. I don't know if you've had uninvited guests before. The whole town is at this door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let them speak because they knew who he was. Jesus has the authority over the physical as well. He heals these people who are sick. So much so that the whole town is gathered there. We don't know exactly how many that is, but it's a lot. They're coming with their sick, with their family who's sick and their friends who are sick. They're coming to Jesus and asking him to heal him, heal them, and he does. Jesus has the authority over the physical as well. He made this world. So, so here we have, right, God, the authority of the spiritual and over the physical. That's who is asking us to come to him. That's who is asking us to repent and believe. But what Mark is going to show us from verse 35 to 45 is he's not just the authority over the spiritual. He's not just the authority. He's also good. And this is, again, this is crucial that we see this here. Because bad authority, what bad authority results in is bitterness and, and fear. 
Right? We know that. If you've ever had a, a bad boss who micromanages you or manipulates you, the consequences of that are just that you're bitter and you have this unhelpful fear and you, you end up hating that boss. Right? People in authority that abuse their power, we hate that, right? If God is just the authority but he's a bad God, then what that's going to create is just a guilt-driven people who are bitter. But ultimately what Mark wants us to see is that he's not a bad God, he's a good God. And we see that from verse 35. He says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and they found him. They exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, now we've got to see this, right? There's a whole town of people at his door wanting, him, wanting Jesus to heal them. And then morning comes, Jesus sneaks out the back door, escapes to a private place to pray. How is that a good thing? How can he be good? He's leaving like there there's, could be thousands of people there. He's leaving them to go and pray. And when his disciples come, he says to them, look, uh, let's go so I can preach. That's why I've come here also. And this is what we have to see here with what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying no to good things to say yes to a better thing. And ultimately, that's how we know that Jesus is good because he's saying no to good things to say yes to a better things. He says, I haven't come for that I have come to preach. That's what he says. So I can preach there also. That's why I've come. He says no to good things to say yes to a better thing. Jesus didn't just come to deal with the temporary issue of bad health. He didn't just come for that. Jesus came to preach, he says, and preach what? Preach verse 15, repent and believe the good news. Jesus says no to good things to say yes to better things. And we actually see this pattern in Jesus' ministry right throughout Mark. Does this over and over again. He says yes to good things to say, he says no to good things to say yes to better things, ultimately until the point of the cross where Jesus dies. And in dying, Jesus is actually saying no to living a life where he gets to 80 years old and just heals everyone. Saying no to a life of comfort where he can just have this fame and glory of all these people where people just keep coming and he just keeps healing them. Jesus said no to that to say yes to something better at the cross. And in doing so, we see Jesus' goodness. But Mark wants us to see this as well as this passage finishes. And really, in these last few verses, we get a glimpse into Jesus' heart. Because he says in, in, in 38 there, he says, I've come to preach, right? That's why I'm here. And then in verse 40, a leper comes up to him and says, if you're willing, heal me. What's Jesus going to do? Because he's just said, I haven't come for that. I've come to preach. We'll pick it up in verse 41. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. 
the leper comes to Jesus, falls before him and says, heal me. Jesus has just said, I've come to preach. What does Jesus do? Well, our Bibles there say he was indignant. But literally the, the word is, this idea is uh, that he was moved to his bowels. A little bit of a weird word, but I guess that's where the saying came from. It made me sick to my stomach, right? So we still use that today. And, and even we know that you can use that in two ways. So when someone makes you angry, you could say, man, I'm so angry that I feel sick to my stomach. Uh, or you could use it in another way in the sense that when someone's sick, uh, a family member or something gives you news that they're sick and it's going to affect not just their livelihood but their, their place in society, well, that's a moment too that you would feel sick to your stomach. So, so what's Jesus doing here? Is he angry or is he kind of moved with compassion to this man? But I think we see what he is from what he does. He's moved with compassion because he reaches out and touches this man and he cleans him, he heals him. Now, now leprosy back in the day, it was this skin disease, right? maybe a variety of skin diseases. And the laws were, if you were a leper, you had to be outside of the community. You weren't allowed in. In fact, you, you weren't often allowed to even see other people. The rabbis had made it that sort of strict that they, they sort of enhanced that rule and made, okay, you can't even come in contact with other people. You definitely couldn't touch a leper. If you shook a leper's hand, you then become unclean, right? You then have to go outside the camp. You have to go outside the community. So here this leper, this guy who is isolated and sick, comes to Jesus and falls before him, says, clean me, heal me, bring me in. And Jesus sees him and he is moved by sin and, and suffering and the effect of this broken world. And he touches this leper and he heals the leper. See Jesus' heart here? Like the leper, Jesus says, go tell the, the priest as a testimony, probably about who Jesus is actually. And then verse 45, right, and don't tell anyone, Jesus says. And then verse 45, he just goes and tells everyone. Now Jesus knew that he would do that. He's God, and yet he healed this leper anyway. Why? Because he's good. Jesus isn't just the authority, he's also good. We see his heart here as someone comes to him who's been affected by sin and by suffering and by the effects of this broken world and it moves Jesus to the point where Jesus does something about it. He's good. And ultimately what we see in Jesus' ministry and his life is that this happens over and over again. In fact, the reason he came into the world in the first place was because sin and suffering and brokenness, sickness, moved Jesus. He doesn't sit in heaven and laugh and enjoy that the world is broken. He's moved by it to the point where he does something about it. You see, our sin, right, our rejection of God, our ignorance of God, well, we do that just consistently and constantly. Our sin, where we haven't, we've done the bad things and we haven't done the good things that he's called us to, over and over again, comes up against God. And God is the good and just God, should give us what we deserve in punishing us, in destroying us. On top of that, our sin has broken this world. We know that, right? You look around, the world is broken. 
Sickness exists. Suffering exists. Death exists. But Jesus is the kind of God that's moved by this. And he does something about this. He comes into the world. He came into the world. And ultimately he said no to good things, to say yes to a better thing. And he died on the cross to take our punishment. He died on the cross to take our guilt and to give us his status of righteous. He died on the cross to take us from outsiders and bring us in. He died on the cross even though we were unclean from sin and cleansed us so that we could be brought in. See how this is good news? This isn't advice on how to get to God. This is the, the news that Jesus has done everything that we need to get to God. He's good. He's moved by sin and suffering and sickness to the point where he does something about it and he dies on the cross for us. So our God, who's calling us to repent, to turn to him and believe, is the God who is both the king with authority and good. And so as we see who Jesus is, we do have to come back to what he calls us to because he calls us to turn to him. Again, it's not a little call. This is no small thing. It's not a tag on the end of your life. This is a holistic turning to Jesus. Now, now if you're here this morning and you've never had this chance to, to turn to Jesus, maybe you've never made that decision to turn to Jesus, we'd love to give you a chance to come to him this morning. In light of who he is, we'd love to give you a chance to actually turn Come to him. Believe in this good news. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray some words. And I'm going to encourage you to, to, to repeat those words after me if that's you here this morning. And this is not some special, this is not the end of the journey. We're just going to pray in light of who God is that we want to follow him. And I want to encourage you, if you're feeling like God is calling you this morning, he is calling you this morning to come to him. Then, then take that chance. And we want to encourage you too in that. We don't want to just you know, have this prayer and leave you hanging. I mean, we want to help you out with that. We've got Bibles to give to you. We want to get you connected into our community. We're not saved as individuals. We're saved together. We want to help you out in that. So, so in a moment, I'm going to do that. But if you are here this morning and you have already turned to Jesus and believe in Jesus, maybe this morning it's been a challenge to remember that he's not calling us to tag him onto our lives. He's calling us for a holistic turning to him. And, and this morning, it might be a chance for us to recommit to that, to recommit to living our whole lives for Jesus. And again, if that's you here this morning, don't leave without speaking to someone. Let's have these conversations. Let's encourage one another and stir one another to keep chasing after Jesus who brings good news, who is good news. So I'm going to pray now. And if that's you here this morning and you want to take that step, either the first step or recommitting, then pray with me. Dear God, in light of who you are, the God with authority and the good God, I want to follow you.
Help me in this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.